A very strange victory for the Pacers over the Houston Rockets, and yet that is the third most important thing we're talking about today. We'll start with Benedict Matherin's injury. Some terrible, terrible news for the Pacers at this point in the season, and Tyrese Halliburton's insane overtime and a career night for him. We'll get to all of it today on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today we are diving into a story-filled, eventful, for the wrong and right reasons night in Gamebridge Fieldhouse as the Pacers beat the Rockets in overtime in a game that had no business going to overtime in the first place, Tyrese Halliburton was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant in overtime. He had a career high in assists, and on a normal day, this show would start with a segment about Tyrese Halliburton's late-game brilliance, transition to talking about the game, and then something else like Jordan Wara's impressive performance, for example. But instead, the bad cop's coming in first before the good cop gets his chance because the lead story from this game is about Benedict Matherin, who after three minutes of play in the first quarter with... Just about a minute and a half to go in the frame. Drove to the basket, was trying to attempt a layup between Rockets rookie Tari Eason and second-year player Usman Garuba and landed awkwardly. It's kind of hard to tell, but it sort of looks like his ankle lands by or near Garuba, and it rolls really bad. And immediately on the ground reaching for it, he's in pain. Uh, He left the game, and it was one of those ones that He was in enough pain that his teammates kind of do that thing where they surround him so nobody can see him and what he's reaching for. Um, Terrible. You know You know when that happens, that it's at least somewhat severe. The Pacers said right after he's got a right ankle sprain, he's questionable to return. I thought there was no way, but they had to get something out. It was ultimately deemed that he would not be returning for the game. So he only played that three minutes in the first frame uh, for the entire night, and he rolled it uh, really rough. Didn't return. Pacers had to adjust. We'll get to that at the end of this segment. But uh, after the game, Rick Carlisle was talking about it. You know, he he said he didn't know a ton more than what we could we saw at the time. Uh, There will be more testing done uh, for Matherin's ankle in the coming days. But Carlisle does not expect Benedict Matherin to play in the Pistons games coming up. They play the in Detroit on Saturday and Monday. I mean, I would expect it's a longer absence than that. In the first place, and in, in the absence length, I'm I'm guessing at all. So I'm not, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and just make up some sort of thing or look at other random ankle injury sort of things. But it's going to come down to what grade it is, right? Grade one, it's less severe. Grade two is more. Grade three is really long. Like that's sort of how it is. Like just for a recent, for some Pacers examples, like Chris Duarte had, I believe a grade two one earlier this season that was as bad as those can get. He missed. Two days over six weeks, right? I think it was 44 days for him, although he returned and played in the G League before six weeks. So whatever timing you want to use, that's how long it was for him. Kevin Durant just hurt his ankle literally two days ago for the Suns. They said earlier uh, on Thursday that he'll be reevaluated in three weeks, right? Like it can be a varying amount of time depending on the player, the severity. Like there's so many different types of ankle sprains and what it means and if that ankle has been hurt before and all all sorts of stuff that's saying until more testing is done until it's revealed if there is or isn't ligament damage and how severe the sprain is 
where this is going to go for Benedict Mather. And so at this time, we do not know how long he'll be out for besides for sure, likely these next two games. I would wager more than that myself. Uh, that, that would be a miraculously quick recovery, although he has been an Ironman this year, right? He and Buddy Heald entering this Rockets game were the only two guys the team would played in every game. Uh, Mather and it even said not long ago, uh, just after the All-Star break, reciting something that Anthony Edwards said at All-Star break that he would like to play in all 82 games, both as a personal goal of staying healthy and being available, but also because of the same reasons Ant said, where it's like you never know if that's someone's only game they can attend or something like that. You know, you need to he would like to be out there and playing. Unfortunately for him, that's not going to be the case. Huge bummer of an injury for a million reasons. And I think the biggest one, I have to go back to something that I was talking about before the season when I would preview play, Pacers player seasons. I always talked about how important they were to the team for two different sets of goals. The Pacers winning game set of goals and the Pacers long-term development set of goals. And Matherin has been so good this year that he is significant to both timelines of the Pacers, right? He is a 17 points per game guy. He's very effective off the bench. Very recently, like this weekend, Carlisle's crediting him for moving the ball better, keeping the bench unit humming. And he's been great recently, right? And looking a little bit more, uh, fitting in to a team style. Not that he wasn't fitting in. It's just like his, you know, he's elevated the bench with, with a change of style while still being an effective score. 17 points per game. Rookies don't grow on trees. And, you know, the efficiency inside the arc is there. Like, he's a very, very talented player. He takes almost 13 shots a game. That's, that's a hard talent to lose. And he helped the Pacers win games. There were some nights where he was their best scorer or their most impactful offensive player, just someone they really needed when no one else had it going. And now they do not have that. So under the guise of winning games, it's tough to lose a guy like that for any amount of time for the Pacers. And under the umbrella of development right they we talked about this yesterday with daniel tice moving to the bench the pacers are thinking about development for this last month of the season there's now less than a month left of the nba season right development is still a thing they have to think about in terms of young players getting reps or how, how they prioritize certain things carlisle even said pre-game uh in chicago that they at the very end of a recent practice before that kind of used Mather and a point guard for a few reps and minutes. I don't think that's something they were going to explore this season, but it does help him get more reps in a different way that allows him to explore his game, improve, and things like that, right? Clearly, development is something the Pacers are thinking about, and now Matherin will miss some valuable development time. Either route of importance for the Pacers' development or wins, and they're trying to do both. They've said that, and they are doing that. Matherin is now no longer a part of that for the short-term future as he deals with this injury. And if it's severe enough that it's Duarte length, in if it's a six-week thing, that's it. His season's done. So the Pacers will hope that it's less than that. Or if they make the plan, I suppose you could return for the postseason. But you get the picture of what I'm painting. Uh, it take the, the severity is key here, just given how late it is in the season and how many more games he'll be able to play because he was brilliant for this team. He was just figuring out the connections with the rest of this bench unit. And for a team that is balancing that development and wins, he's the, he's, he's the poster of that, I think. And that will no longer be relevant uh, while he's out until he returns uh, where he stands in that sort of winning development balance in his absence. It's a little tough to say exactly what will or won't change for this team, just because so much could go a number of different ways, which is a lazy way of talking about it. But uh, in this game specifically, it's kind of hard to say what was different. Well, it's not hard to say, but it's, it's hard to say if this is what the permanent choice will be. So here's how I kind of viewed how the change was. 
um, without Matherin, because he only played three minutes, right? They still had to adjust. What I think it looked like happened is Aaron Neesmith, who returned from his hip injury for this game, ended up playing more as a guard with the second unit. So it was McConnell, Neesmith, Duarte, uh, Jackson as a second unit, or Smith. Smith played at the four at times. And that was kind of the nine that they went with. And then Jordan Wara was with the second unit some, but then he moved into Neesmith's spot in the starting five, and Neesmith still toggled between the two roles, right? So what it did is it it bumped up Wara's minutes a little bit. He played almost half the game, and then McConnell played over half the game. Duarte played over half the game. So I think what you'll see is a little bit more role versatility from Aaron Neesmith and then maybe a tiny bump in minutes from TJ McConnell uh, and or Chris Duarte on a given night. And if the Pacers want to you know, just insert someone else straight into his spot, they don't have options for that. It's George Hill. He is the only guard that was active that did not play. If they want to continue the development thing, maybe Trevor and Queen get some more time with the Pacers. In fact, just from a guard depth perspective, maybe he does now. Um, you know, he's humming with the G League recently, but we'll see where this leads to rotationally. But I think that's what you're going to see more of is a little bit more of Neesmith being maybe the first guy pulled so he can play guard uh, with the second unit. And then Wara will get a little bit more time with the starters. And he did well in that role when Neesmith was out very recently. So they have a recent example of what this could look like. And in this game, that was the guys who got the bump in minutes. Neesmith specifically, 37 minutes for Neesmith. Remember, this game went to overtime, so the minutes are are slightly inflated. But he was second on the team in minutes at nearly 38. Only Halliburton, of course, ended up playing more. So we'll see what that ends up looking like in a full game when they play in Detroit. But the early return suggests those are the guys to look at as guys who will fill a void and, and play a little more. And as for where the 13 shots go, that's going to maybe change on a game-to-game basis, on a matchup basis. But you know, Duarte and Wara combining for 22, that's above their combined averages for this team. I think those two guys stand to benefit a little bit from more reps with the second unit. Huge bummer for the Pacers for a million reasons. He's been good, and he's a talented rookie developing. Uh, the severity will be very key. We'll get back to this. Uh, on Monday's show because likely over the weekend we'll get some sort of update from the team and they'll play a game. So they have to put out an injury report for that at the time. And we'll talk about the Pistons uh, next week. Though They play a game on Saturday against them. Uh, so we'll talk about that game and adjustments for the second game, which I'll be at the Monday one, not the Saturday one. So lots of, of topics there. But for the rest of this show, let's get the good cop in here. The bad cop's done talking about injuries. The good cop is here to talk about Tyrese Halberton, brilliance, absolutely magnificent overtime and total game, career high in assists. And then we'll talk about the game in general, which the Pacers would probably like to forget a little bit of, but they do end up getting a win over the Rockets anyway. Before we dive into Halliburton's fantastic night, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently in life, I've kind of learned that structure is important for me, like mapping out my day, more planning, more lists, things like that. And, you know, getting to know yourself. It's a lifelong process. You're always growing and changing. And for me, I went away from that after college. But I needed to go back to having, you know, less structures, to-do lists, whatever. And therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding with yourself because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. It's, in, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA, 10% off your first month at BetterHelp. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Locked On Rockets, here with Jackson Gallon, who was on this show yesterday, uh, got high praise from a few listeners. Uh, to hear his perspective on this game, because Jabari Smith, the the prize rookie for the Rockets this year, best game of his career, he was really good. Uh, of, uh, stunningly, a big wing was good against the Pacers, um, and they played. Uh, the Rockets played an encouraging game uh, from their perspective. Of you know, guys who were developing looked good. They still got the loss. I think Houston will be happy with how this one shook out. From the Pacers' perspective, though, less to like, but one thing to like, and we're going to talk about him this whole segment. And we keep doing this. Tyrese Halliburton taking over the game, being a super-duper star. I mean, I'm out of superlatives for him, and all-stars short of what he is now. Like, he's going to be in the All-NBA mix in games like this. Show you exactly why. He was the Pacers' offense for so many portions of this game, where they just had nothing if he didn't have it. Tyrese Halliburton finishes with 29 points, 19 assists, plus 14, second-highest on the team behind Neesmith, who was also special as a connecting piece in this game. Tyrese Halberton had 29 points and was two for nine from deep. He went seven for 11 on twos. So he was getting to the rim and attacking more. And he attempted 10 free throws, right? It wasn't just that Tyrese Halberton was being, we'll get to the career high in assists. Halberton was attacking in ways that are a little unique for him. Part of what makes him so special as a player among many things is his pull up three is such a weapon that it's so hard to guard him on the outside. He took nine in this game, right? That's a big shot for him. Teams try to take it away. But when it's not falling, you know, earlier in the season even, he couldn't have gotten to the rim as much as he did in this game. But he attacked and attacked and attacked and beat guys off the dribble and manipulated slightly tweaked defenses and called for screens at the right times and pushed in transition and knew where the weak bodies were on the defense to get to the cup and create good shots. And that is how he was able to have a monstrously efficient game despite going two for nine from deep. That's seven misses, doesn't matter, 29 points on 20 shots. So as a scorer, he was excellent. In fact, in the overtime period of this basketball game, oh my gosh, Tyrese Halbert went crazy. He enters overtime at 17 points, and he, he, he missed, uh, air quotes on miss here, uh, it, it, look, it's a weird play. He missed the game winner, but he he lost the ball and then kneed the defender, but also the defender totally made contact with him. Tyrese actually joked with us on the podium that Jay Sean Tate told Tyrese Halbert and he fouled him on that possession at the end of the game. So uh, he got fouled, according to the defender. He uh, There was a lot to it. He lost the ball before that, but he didn't make the game winner, like a kind of a microcosm of his game. The scoring wasn't quite there. He had 17 points and 17 assists entering overtime, 17 assists entering the OT, tied his career high. He was having a, a fine game, a pretty good game, right? 17 assists is a ton. In the overtime, um, he was so dominant, it was unbelievable, right? Assist to Tyrese Halberton, or assist to Tyrese Halberton, assist to Andrew Nembard, whips it across to the right wing, Nembard drives to the basket, layup, that's assist 18, Pacers are ahead by two, Jay Sean Tate scores, and then he whips one over to Buddy Heald, who hits a three that gives the Pacers a lead that they never relinquished. Nembard hits the next shot after a big steal, to go up five, and then Halberton scored or assists on every single Pacers point the rest of the game. They're up 122-117, uh, and then Halberton 
gets a running finger roll and then he hits a step back three and then he gets a dunk and then he hits another pull up three after missing every three in regulation he drilled two of them in ot and then the rockets are they have no answers for him they couldn't even score because they were playing half court offense because halliburton was scoring so much so then they start fouling with under a minute to go to stop the clock which i hate when that happens when the game is so obviously decided it was a nine point game come on uh but either way that gave halliburton two more points he nailed both free throws and he finished with 29 points so he had 17 in regulation in 48 minutes, and then he had 12 in a five-minute extra period. Completely destroyed the Rockets. Let me be a little more clear about how many points Tyrese Halberton had in overtime. Tyrese Halberton scored 12 points in overtime. The Houston Rockets scored 10 points in overtime. Even without the assist to Nembard and without the assist to Heald, he alone was enough for the Pacers to win. Add in the Nembard steal. That was the only non-Tyrese Halliburton-created bucket in the OT was Andrew Nembard's awesome, awesome pass anticipation steal and then layup that was goaltended. He did a good job to angle his body to make that shot unblockable. Credit to Andrew Nembard, by the way. We'll get to him in the next segment, but he was fantastic in this game in a way that he hasn't been for a while. But either way, after a kind of off night, Tyrese Halliburton just took over at the end of the game. He talked about it after on the podium. He said, Everybody trusts me to do this, right? The org- he, he didn't just say his teammates, which that's a big part of it. He did say his teammates, but he didn't stop there. The coaches, the front office, Herb Simon's in the house, right? Like everybody trusts him to be the guy in these clutch moments. That's why he took the last shot of the game uh, in Chicago. And in this game, he, he got fouled that it wasn't called and then took over and over time because he can make the shots and he can create the shots for others and Take over a game. And he absolutely did it in this game. He was fantastic down the stretch. And that's a broken record thing that I've talked about a lot. What's not a broken record thing, because I've never talked about it before, because it's never happened before, is 19 assists. 19. And the first thing, not the first thing, the second thing Halliburton said when he was asked about 19 assists, could have been 20 if Buddy made a 3 and OT that Halliburton passed to him. That would have given him 20. Uh, for the game, which, of course, Buddy Heald also joked about later in the locker room. But, um, yeah, 19 assists, ridiculous, ridiculous passing game from Halliburton. And the Rockets, He this is what Halliburton said of the game. He kind of just said, like, you know, the way that they were guarding him made it easy early, right, with the way they were guarding Turner specifically. They were linking up um, in a meaningful way until later in the game, the Rockets switched Jayshon Tate on to Turner so that when they were switching, they had a better defender in Halbert, and that slowed his assist. He had seven assists in the first quarter, Tyrese Halbert did, right? He just ripped apart this Rockets defense. He got in the lane. He sprayed it to the right teammates. He found cutters, and that's something he credited after the game was the timing of the cuts from his teammates was really significant. He was finding everybody, Turner, Heald, Nembart, Neesmith, whoever, he got them the ball, and even T.J. McConnell was hitting threes. And Halbert was getting these guys the ball, right time, right spot, and they were drilling them. 19 assists is, is nuts. His previous career high was 17, which he did twice. And I'm going to talk about why this game was better than both of those. And it's very easy. It's because there's the other part of the game that he did called scoring. But uh, last year, he had a 17-assist game with the Pacers uh, late in the season against the Pistons. He, on, on April 3rd, 2022, Tyrese Halliburton finished with 17 assists. He was brilliant, plus two in that game. He also only had 19 points, right? The Pistons slowed him a little bit, pressured him from three. Halliburton missed all five of his threes in that game, and he had 19 points and 17 assists. Still a great game, positive plus minus, but they lost, right? Uh, so in the end, not as nearly as impressive as he was tonight. His other 17 assist game came with the Kings, February 5th, 2022, so a little earlier than that game with the Pacers. Uh, they won that game. Uh, over the Thunder, 
and he had 13 points. And spoiler alert, he missed all his threes. He was five for 13. I'd have to watch this game. I actually remember the Pistons game I just said. Uh, but I would assume it's similar where he was getting pressured by the Thunder defense in this game. De'Aaron Fox not playing notably, right? So he is the lead ball handler for the Kings in this one. He gets a lot of pressure. He can't get the threes up, but he finds a way to be impactful with 17 assists. This game tonight, Tyrese Halliburton had that same pressure, but not only did he get 19 assists, he also found his ways to score. And it did take the overtime period to really stamp that home, but he did it. He, he figured it out down the stretch. And he said, I'm taking this over. I can do this. I know it. We're going to win this game. And he, and he absolutely shut everybody up with his play. And, and I don't mean anybody was criticizing him or anything, but shut up the crowd and, and the, the questions that could have been potentially coming about what, what happened? How did the Pacers not quite win this game? He was fantastic in overtime. He was fantastic down the stretch. He came in right after the Pacers actually gave away the fourth quarter lead. And let's talk about this game in, in total in on the whole, because yes, the Pacers won. That's how it will be remembered. But it was ugly. It was not the way that this game should have gone for the Pacers. And it was a between the Matherin injury and a lot of other stuff, a very weird flow mojo game that I want to discuss in total, how the Pacers walked away with the win beyond Halliburton and all sorts of other things. Before we get to that, though, let me talk to you guys about FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The midway point of the NBA season is here. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. You can jump in on spreads, money lines. You can pick player props for rebounds, assists, points, whatever, or the exclusive bets like their two-by-three, which is two three-pointers score in the first three minutes of a game, and... FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen I was just sort of inadvertently talking about them, but the beam team, the Sacramento Kings primetime TV win over the Knicks. They're playoff bound for the first time in forever. It's going to be awesome. The Golden One Center was rocking. Matt George, locked on Kings. He's got gotcha you for the latest on the Sacramento Kings who are rolling right now. They're the second seed in the West. Insane. DeMontis Sabonis balling for that team in Pacerland. Uh, not so balling performance. A weird game, right? Um, it, it had they won this like, by one or two in regulation, this would have been a hundred percent to a TA burn this, burn this footage. Never talk about this game again, kind of outing where you win, but you kind of played bad, right? I, I, I always, you know, the way the seating chart works, I always end up sitting by Dustin Doprak from the Indy star. And I kept saying to him during the fourth quarter, like, man, the Rockets are just handing this game to the Pacers. They missed so many layups. They missed open threes. They missed free throws, all these things that they could have won this game. And the game flow led to that moment, right? It was very strange. First quarter, Pacers looked amazing. They never start strong. The Pacers have been awful starting games for all of 2023, basically. And they were amazing to start this game. They were up 11 to 4 immediately, right away, right? They were up 34 to 17 in the first quarter. Everybody was playing well. They were carving up this Rockets defense. The young team had nothing, right? It looked like the Pacers were going to run away with it. Then Matherin got hurt. And the rotation changes a little bit, and the vibe of the team is totally different. And all of a sudden, you're thinking about your teammate who's not there because he's hurt, and it's a huge bummer. 
But they still at first kind of rode past it, right? They were up 18. I think it was 54-36 with about six minutes to go in the second quarter. They were only up seven, nine at halftime. I can't remember exactly. They, you know, 20 to eight Rockets run to close the half. Uh, so I guess math is like six. They were up six at halftime, the Pacers were. And all their mojo was gone, right? They, they lost a key player and they just gave up a huge run. And in the third quarter, they won the quarter by one, right? So the Pacers lost everything. They were not playing better than the Rockets. They had a talent advantage. I think there's a big difference. Like very rarely in the game did I think, wow, the Pacers are playing well. They just had some possessions where Halliburton or Turner or somebody was just better than the guy they were playing against. And I suppose that does count as playing better than your opponent. If you make a one-on-one play or make a play, sure. But from total like team perspective basketball or from the perspective of this is how the Pacers wanted to play, they were not playing well in the third quarters by winning the quarter. It's just that Turner and, and Halliburton were so excellent for so many stretches of this game that they just had a big talent advantage. Turner, who fouled out and didn't play in the overtime, which is why I didn't talk about him as much in the last segment. 21 points, five boards, seven blocks. Whew. He was a beast on defense, and he was the only thing stopping the Rockets from scoring 100 points in the paint, and that's a good transition. They scored 82. The Rockets just drove past everybody over and over and over again. They kept getting to the rim. They kept scoring inside. They don't have a lot of shooters. So that's their only way of hanging around, but it was ridiculous. And so in the fourth quarter, it took Tyrus Halberton played all 12 minutes of the third, and they only expanded their lead by one. So the early fourth was going to be a huge stretch, right? And there's a key thing to note here that I didn't even consider in the moment, but Carlisle called an extra timeout when Matherin got hurt and an extra timeout for something else earlier in the game. So he didn't have many timeouts left in the fourth. He wanted to save them. So the, the score kept flipping back and forth with about 630 to go. It was still a seven-point lead for the Pacers. But Halberton and Turner had not come back in yet. Uh, because Halberton, for example, had just played the whole third and Turner was in foul trouble, right? He ended up fouling out. So they go to the scores table like six minutes left, a little under six minutes left. So they're still up seven when those guys go to the scores table. The Rockets hit a three. Now it's a four-point game. And then a Pacers miss, and then a Rockets miss, and then a Pacers miss. And then the Rockets hit another three with about four and a half, four twenty-something to go. And they're down one by that time. And then the Rockets call the timeout. And that got Halliburton and Turner in the game. So they couldn't get in for a little bit because of the game flow. There was no stoppages. And the Pacers had fewer timeouts than they wanted, so they couldn't stop the game to get the subs. So that was a big stretch, right? The Pacers bench did mostly fine, although, again, they didn't look like they were playing better. They just were a more talented team, and that was enough. But when the when Turner and, and Halliburton came back in, the Rockets had all the momentum, and they had figured some stuff out, and Jabari Smith was cooking, and they immediately scored right after they came in. And the Rockets were winning. They were winning in the fourth quarter. They only led in the whole game for about 10 seconds, but it was right after Halliburton and Turner subbed in. So a lot of fans were, you know, why didn't he call a timeout? Why didn't he sub him in earlier? And I agree that they should have been in earlier, but I they were at the scores table earlier, and I, I didn't know the timeout thing. So there's a little bit of sympathy for me just strategically with the way the game was kind of flowing, why that didn't happen. Although, again, I think maybe at like the 640 mark, you know, the 630 mark when it's 108, 101, if they could have come back in, that would have been huge. Either way, Jalen Green hits a reverse layup right after those guys check in. It's 109, 108 Rockets. Uh, he gets a free throw from that. It's 110, 108 Rockets. Then Nembard hits a three. The Pacers get the lead right back. And the Rockets never led again. They tied the game a bunch. But for the rest of the night, they never led the game. So it was truly only... Uh, math, 12 seconds of the whole night that the Rockets led, but it sure felt like a culmination of that fourth quarter momentum buildup for the Rockets. And so if you really want to think about this game, 
I mean, I suppose the Pacers won the third quarter, but I didn't think they were playing well. Like the Rockets probably played better or played up to the level they were hoping to play for for 30 minutes, 35 consecutive minutes. They were the the better team or the team that's happier with their play. And the Pacers were better for 12 to well, they had all the overtime, so closer to 17 minutes. So the Rockets probably feel pretty good about their performance, and the Pacers probably don't feel great. But the Pacers still won because they started fantastic, which they never do. And Tyrese Halliburton was just effing brilliant in the overtime period. But it was such a weird game where the Pacers looked so good and then just sort of slow decline for a really long time, and they got just enough to get it to overtime. They didn't even need to win in regulation. They just needed to get it to overtime. And they did. And their overtime against Boston didn't go so great after the All-Star break. So I was curious how they'd look. And they looked fantastic this time. They were not going to lose a game that they should win in OT. Kind of Halliburton noted something to that effect on the podium after the game. And they got it done. And the key beyond the weird game flow and losing a good player was the three ball, right? The Rockets, not a good shooting team. And they win so many other categories. The Rockets won the possession game, right? They took seven more shots from the field. They made more shots than the Pacers. They made more free throws than the Pacers. They killed the Pacers on the glass, right? A lot of key stats say the Rockets played a good game. But the Rockets went 6 of 17 from three. That's wildly low in the modern NBA. The Pacers went 18 of 45 from three, 40%. They made 12 more threes. That's an insurmountably huge difference to overcome, even if you're the Rockets making more shots, making more free throws, having more chances. You can't overcome a difference like that. And the threes came from everybody. Everybody who made a three made multiple. Wara, Duarte, McConnell made three. Halliburton made two in OT. Nembar didn't miss from three. Heald hit five. Neesmith hit two. That's what got it done for the Pacers in the end. A great start, a great shooting night, and brilliant clutch play. From their all-star and overtime, Tyrese Halliburton. Pagers get a win. That's all this game will be remembered as, even though they did not play well for over 30 minutes of the game. And they move on. Pistons twice over the weekend. Two easier games for the Pacers. We'll see if they can sweep. It's hard to sweep these teams on back-to-backs, even if it's a much inferior opponent. Pacers doing it against the Magic early this season was pretty significant. So we'll see what's going on. Monday, we'll be talking Pistons game one, adjustments from that game, and a sidebar from the first game without Ben Matherin. Looking forward to talking about all that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Monday.